Welcome to the Hardy Mom Podcast. Your health challenged, girl, I get it. Feeling anxious, depressed, don't you sweat it. Welcome. I'm Jen Hardy, mom of seven, proud wife of a veteran, author, podcaster, and community builder. Yes, you heard that right. Go to hardymom.com where you'll find the amazing and private Hardy Mom community, a place just for you to meet other moms with health challenges, find help for your symptoms, and discover parenting strategies created for moms just like us to make our lives run smoothly. Yes, really. You're a mom with a health challenge. Do you ever get brain fog? You know, you just completely forget things that you really should remember. Well, that was me when I recorded this episode. Karina is absolutely fabulous. She is now traveling and can't redo it. So please bear with my sound because brain fog happens. This week, I have the privilege of talking to Karina Sturm. She is the writer, director, and star of the documentary, We Are Visible. Karina is a multimedia journalist and filmmaker. She found her passion for media production, and she's been working as a freelance journalist since 2013. In 2019, she finished her master's degree by producing a feature-length documentary called We Are Visible to highlight how to improve reporting on people with disabilities in the media. We Are Visible has won several movie awards, and Karina graduated with distinction from her journalism program. Karina's main focus is to represent people with illnesses and disabilities accurately in the media to reduce biases and stereotypes. She thinks disabled journalists should be reporting on disability, and she is an amazing woman. Please welcome Karina Sturm. So welcome, Karina. Thank you so much for joining me on the Hardy Mom podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. And I I have brought you here because just watching the trailer for your movie made me sob. It, I so connected with it. And I don't have Ehlers-Danlos, but you did a really good job of making people understand invisible illness. So I thought maybe you could talk a little bit about how you decided to make the film and in the first place. <laughs> sure. Uh, well, I didn't really decide. It was kind of decided for me, I guess. Um, <laughs> I uh, studied journalism in Scotland and for our master's thesis, we could decide whether we wanted to do a documentary film or some writing. And um, even though I had never really filmed anything or even held a camera in my hands, it was like, okay, I need to do a documentary film on Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome because, you know, that's my condition. So it was the obvious choice, Um, but it was supposed to be a short documentary. So 20 minutes maximum. Um, But then (laughs) there were all these wonderful people that contacted me about being part of this film or wanting to be part of this film. And I loved all their stories. I was like, okay, I can really not make a short film with all these people. And Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome is so complex um, and such a wide spectrum that it's kind of hard to describe it in just a couple of minutes. And so, yeah, that's basically how I ended up doing a feature-length film. (laughs) It's amazing. So how did you you decide? Your guests are literally all over the world. How did you find them? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, again, they found me. Um, so back then I wasn't super well connected with um, the international community. Like I only knew a couple of people where I lived. Um, and so I contacted Illas Danlos Syndrome organizations in a couple of countries. And I was like, hey, do you maybe know someone who would want to be part of this? 
And finally, there was an international conference, I believe, in Belgium um, that time. And they actually asked people all over the world there <laughs> because, you know, they all met in Belgium. And so that's how I ended up with all these people from different <laughs> countries and with different kinds of stories. Well, that's amazing. And and there was one that I, that I had asked you about. Um, I, you know, well, the the children really the children really hit me because mm. as as a child, I had health issues, and everyone told told me that I was fine, that I was just faking it. I was fine. It turns out I had pretty bad asthma, and um, I really wasn't faking all the pain in my lungs. <laughs> Mm. Um, and so it really, it really connected with me. Um, was, were there anything about the kids that, that stuck out with, for you when you were talking to them? Yeah. I mean, it, I was just like not prepared at all, um, to see these kids in so much pain. Um, I don't have children and I never really was in contact, you know, with families with EDS, um, who have kids who have EDS. And then um, especially the ones in the Netherlands and in Belgium were really tough for me because they, you know, the one was in the hospital when I came for, and we, we had right. all these plans. We wanted to like go to a farm um, and film her there because she's super happy there and, you know, at school. And then she ended up super, super sick and in hospital and we had to film in hospital instead. Um, and she wasn't doing well. And the kids in the Netherlands were in so much pain that they sometimes just kind of stopped walking and then like <laughs> collapsed on the floor and cried because they were in so much pain. And it just, it, it was just emotionally very, very tough to see. And well, I did cry a lot as well. <laughs> right. Yeah. And the mom who got charged with FII, I thought, oh my goodness, that is yeah. so so sad because because people just don't understand the visible illness they, no and it's just... also quite a common thing um for parents with eds at least that's what i learned you know when i started filming um that's not really specific to any country this like really happens to all of them no matter where they live and it's just they all got accused at least once um it was just worse for some side note here FII stands for Fabricated or Induced Illness. In the United States, it's called Medical Child Abuse or Munchausen by Proxy. Um, medical Child Abuse is defined as a child receiving unnecessary and harmful or potentially harmful medical care at the instigation of a caretaker. According to the UK website about FII, if a healthcare provider notices signs of FII, they'll usually refer the case to a community pediatrician. They'll record their concerns in the child's health records so that any other clinicians who see the child are aware of concerns. The mom in the film stated that social services was again notified while filming because of an injury, and she said, they make you feel mental, and I'm not. Now back to the interview. Okay, and then the other person that, that really stuck with me that I had wanted to reach out and ask if I could contact her because even though I don't have Ehlers-Danlos, her story was, I believe, everyone's story with an invisible illness. And I am so sorry for your loss because when the movie got closer to the end, I realized she had passed, was Denise. And I, you know, I wrote down what she said because it just, the doctors didn't really know what to do with these symptoms. They were too many, too complex and could have fitted the description of so many illnesses. 
And at some point, the doctors just said there was no way that one person could show all these symptoms. And I I literally had a doctor tell me I had to pare down my symptom list and come back to him because there was no way I had all those things. Um, So I don't know. And I did you experience something similar to that when you were trying to get a diagnosis? Yeah, yeah, I think that's also um, something that most people with EDS share. Um, I mean, many of us are women, uh, often very like healthy looking women because, you know, the symptoms are invisible. Um, and so you have all these, like, it's, it's a multi-systemic condition, right? So symptoms can be really all over your body. Um, you could have pain in like 10 different joints, which is something doctors don't really understand. And then you could at the same time have uh, gastrointestinal issues, issues with your heart, issues with your blood pressure. And like at a first glance, those symptoms don't really fit together because doctors aren't aware that there is a condition like Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. So you get belittled and gaslighted a lot, um, mostly, you know, for years. Um, Like I got diagnosed after four years, which is very, very fast for someone with EDS. There are people that get diagnosed after decades. Um, I believe Denise was diagnosed in her 50s or so. So it took her (laughs) many decades to find a doctor who actually understands EDS. That's really tough. And, And I, from what you said, it's different in Germany than it is in the United States a little bit. Can you explain that? I think that's it's it's good for people to understand that it's care is different in different parts of the world. Yes, it definitely is. Um, I mean, the the gender bias and the gaslighting, I think, uh, is pretty much everywhere because that just goes back to you know us being women and <laughs> women uh, are being seen as you know exaggerating their symptoms and their pain, and that's just like a stereotype that exists all around the world. Um, but in terms of care for people with EDS, it's just uh, it, it's much harder in Germany because it's a small country. So there really aren't too many experts. Um, let's say we have one expert for every um, area of issues you could have with EDS. But then those doctors are booked for the next I don't know, two years um, and they are all over Germany. So you have to travel a lot. <laughs> Um, and sometimes there are even private doctors, so you have to pay out of pocket. Um, that's kind of similar in the U.S., even though in the U.S. you have like much, much more experts. And also, well, my care specifically was so much better in the United States. But I was also fortunate that I had a very good insurance. So that's kind of the downside in the U.S. is <laughs> if you don't have a good insurance, you also don't get good care. But if you do have either money or a good insurance, um, then you can have like the best possible care anywhere. So that's uh, like, I guess the difference is that all countries have downsides. <laughs> um, right. And it's just, you, you can't cherry pick the, the best parts of all the countries. But like in, in Germany, EDS care is tough because we're lacking the experts. And in the United States, you have the experts, but most chronically ill people like the money or insurance coverage so it makes it so hard and like you said I mean even if you do get to a good doctor you know the gender bias and the, and the gaslighting and oh you must be depressed we'll just put you on this medicine yeah you know, I, I mean that's a universal just... problem <laughs> and then the last thing I wanted to talk to you about is is writing I thought that was very interesting at the when you were talking about a way that you're able to deal with all the emotions is by mm-hmm. writing and writing is your safe harbor. Can you talk about yeah. that a little bit? 
Well, writing has always been my main coping mechanism. Like even before uh, I had symptoms of EDS, like I started to write a diary. I think I was in first grade when I just, you know, were able to actually write <laughs> letters. Um, and I have like, I think four boxes full of diaries by now because I, I wrote like all the way and now I'm 36 um, and I quit for like, I think three or four years in between. But other than that, I always wrote diaries. And so that was kind of my way of dealing with all stress, you know, like school or then your first boyfriend, your first heartbreak and whatever. <laughs> um, but then it became even more important when I got sick because that was just so much more stress than I had ever before in my life. And for a long time, you know, I went through grief because you're losing everything that was supposed to be your life. You're losing your dreams. Um, then all the problems with the medical system, the medical trauma, the gaslighting, there were just so many stresses that I had to deal with all of a sudden at the same time. Um, so I started to write more and my diary basically became a blog online. And then I blogged about my life and finally people kind of related to me and they were like, oh my God, this is exactly how I feel. And that helped me again to cope because I knew I wasn't alone. And then this developed further and I wrote articles and then, you know, studied journalism. And so now basically what saved me or what I feel kind of saved my, my mental health, at least because it was my coping mechanism to get through it all is my, my biggest passion and at the same time, a new purpose in life. So this all kind of made sense to me in the end. Oh, that's great. And you wrote a book too, didn't you? Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I wrote to some kind of memoirs, which is pretty much like my diary. Um, but those weren't, I, I wasn't really much of an author back then. I realized it's just, I just kind of wanted to write down what happened to me. But it's still helping some people because they can relate. So I think it was worth it. Um, and now I wrote an actual book, <laughs> uh, which is going to be published, um, but it's like a medical and very scientific based um, book for newly diagnosed EDS patients. Oh, that's great. I love it. Now, is that going to be just in German or is it going to be in English as well? No, that's going to be in German because okay. um, there are lots of English resources. Like that's that's the big problem we have in Germany is that we don't really have any sort of resources because you know, medical publications are always in English and lots of German patients can't really speak English. So I wanted to try and create a resource for them as well, um, just to kind of get over this like huge lack of resources in my native language. And there are already like great, great books for EDS patients in English, for example, Disjointed, which is like my absolute favorite. <laughs> um, and so I didn't I didn't want to be a competition in any way for those great books that are already out there and figured it makes a lot more sense if I write something that, you know, hasn't been written before. Uh, no, I think that that is fantastic. It is really fantastic. And I think, honestly, you are such a good example of taking your pain and what's the bad things that have happened, right? And then using that for good to help other people. And I just I, commend I you so. for that because, <laughs> because there's so many, you know, millions of us, right. That suffer with an in, invisible illness and many millions that just suffer. And mm. so it's people like you that go out there and, and let them know you're not alone. 
You know, I mean, just the title of your movie, we are visible, right? Hmm. They're not invisible. They're not by themselves and they can watch this film no matter what they have, no matter what diagnosis they have, I, I believe. And just for me, I have several diagnoses. None of them are EDS, but everybody's story connected with me. You put it together in such a phenomenal way that, oh, thank you. <laughs> that I think the more people that see it, the more people are going to, I think, feel validated one thing, you know, and, and like you said, you know, not crazy people, people are constantly being told by their doctor. It's all in your head. It's anxiety. It's depression. And sure. They have that because they're trying to get help and they can't. Um, And I, and I'm really thankful that you have such a supportive family. I think that's, that's another thing that a lot of people are lacking. Um, But I, but, but your story is a great story for people who also know people with invisible illness as how to be better support. I think, you know, it's just, and who doesn't know somebody with a diagnosis? It's just, I think your film is for everybody. I really do. And I, I just thank (laughs) you so much for creating it. I do. I'm a total fangirl of your film. I really am. And um, I just want to thank you again. I know that um, it must've taken a lot of energy and it was, it was, it was, it was good. I think not good that you were so tired, but good to see you <laughs> exhausted in the film because that is how we really are, right? That's how I do things. Yeah. I, I write books and I do podcasts, but people don't see the time that I'm curled up in bed, you know, for days or yeah. weeks or months, you know? Um, so thank you for, I just want to thank you for sharing everything <laughs> you did. Oh, thank you. And That's we'll, so kind. Is there anywhere that you would like um, a website or anywhere that people can find the most information about you? you uh, yes. I mean, I have several ones, but like my, my kind of journalistic portfolio um, is uh, Karina minus Sturm.com. Like my first and my last name. Um, that's basically where I share all my latest projects and books. Um, I also have a blog that's called Holy f- I'm sick. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> you do. Okay. No. Well, there, People are very divided about that name. Um, <laughs> so, well, that's you know, there you... are days when I think even if you're not a swearing person, you know, you just, yeah, it's it's overwhelming. So I totally get it. All right. And I'll have all those in the, the links in the show notes as well so people can follow you. And thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks so much for having me and for liking my film and for wanting to do this. <laughs> thank you for joining us this week. Be sure to check out hardymom.com where you'll find the show notes, transcript for this episode, as well as the We Are Visible trailer and a link to the full length documentary. Have a fabulous day and I look forward to talking to you next week. Tips and tricks here that will help you. There's advice from experts and interviews. Find time to be with your kids and family. I can help you get it done easily. So premenopausal or postpartum, all stages of womanhood, girl, we've got them. I've been there, I've done that too with a Hardy Mom podcast. Yeah, I'm here for you.